So as we begin our 41st year of ministry, it's good for us to re-examine the church. What is the church? What does it look like? What's its purpose? What should it really be on the inside? It's not a building. It's not an organization. We all understand that. But what is it? And what should it be looking like? What is the Lord's intent for his church? And so that's the reason we're re-examining the book of Ephesians. Uh, and we're, we're calling this, this study Ephesians Rediscovering Church. What should the church be? In any atmosphere, in anything that happens in this world, what should it be? What should it be looking like? Because that's what we should be here in 2020 in the middle of this COVID crisis. It should be what the Lord intended it to be. So this also is Father's Day. So it's interesting that Ephesians chapter 5 starts out by saying in verse 1, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now obviously the, the example of calling the church his children is referring to him being our father. The father, all the, all the kids have some aspect of their father in them, or they should, uh, good or bad. So we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 5 here, and there's some parts I have to leave out because we just don't have time uh, to do it all, but I want, us, I want us to look at five facets of following the father. A lot of F's in there. Didn't work hard at it. It just kind of fell out on my papers. I was making notes. But I want us to see these five facets, five aspects, five perspectives of what the church should be. And the first one is found here in verse 2. <clears throat> verse 2 says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here's that, the, first, the first of the five, first things that, that the church should be. And you and I need to pay attention because we're the church. Walk in the way of love. Walk is a verb. He doesn't say sit in the way of love. He says walk in the way of love because sitting is where you stay in a fixed position. Walking is where you have to be moving someplace else. You have to be moving along with this. So he tells us to walk in the way of love. And then he tells us that God set the example because verses 1 and 2 are really one complete thought, one sentence. Walk in the way of love and the Father set the example. What was the example? That we were rebellious children. But he loved us so much, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into this earth to identify with us, to identify with our sin, to identify with us, our problems, to identify with our situation, with us. So he came, walked those 30-some years on this earth, just like we did. He identified with us. And then at the end, he paid the price my price, wages of sin is death. He paid that price for me so that I could be free. So he says, this is walking in the way of love. He set the example for us. Now, you and I, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be a witness, if we're going to change the world around us, we have to walk in the way of love. Walking means somebody has to see some movement. Somebody has some things being done. He's not talking about love as a feeling on the inside that gives us goosebumps. He's talking about something that moves us from here to there. He's talking about that kind of a change. The way of love is giving yourself up. 
It's not selfishness. And I'm supposed to give myself up, or my self-will, I'm supposed to give myself up as a sacrifice to God. God isn't asking me to offer lambs or bulls or doves as a sacrifice. He's asking me to, to, to sacrifice myself, to take my selfishness, to take my, my, my ego, my, my self-worth, all of that, and put it on the altar so I can love somebody else, so that I can, can, can demonstrate God's love to someone else. This is what he's asking us to do. Walk in the way of love. How are you doing with that? What would other people say about that as it relates to you? What does your spouse say about that? Are you walking in the way of love with him or with her? We just need to ask ourselves this because this is a time of review. Whenever we come to a testing time, and certainly in America we're in a testing time, certainly in our church we're in a testing time, it's a time to re-examine Take a good look at ourselves. Are we walking in the way of love? That's the first thing I want us to draw on. The, the second thing is down here in verses 8, 9, and 10. He says, For you were once darkness. He didn't say you were in darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. The only way to find out what pleases the Lord is to walk in the light. So here's the, the second thing we need to do. The second facet is we need to live as children of light. And live is a verb. You have to do something with it. You don't just exist. You have to grow. Everything alive grows. It, it doesn't just exist. It grows. It prospers. It comes to maturity and it reproduces itself. He says... You once understood darkness. He can say that because they once were lost in a life of sin without a personal relationship with Jesus, without being born again, without the Spirit of God on the inside. You once were like that. And we can relate that to us today, can't we? I once was in darkness. You once were in darkness. But now we're in the light. We need to walk in the light, not in the darkness. Not where we used to be, but where we're going. Where we want to go. We need to walk in the light. But I want to be happy. Hap happiness is important to me. How, why can't I be happy? Happy is a selfish thing. It's about me and what I want. So we have people going from marriage to marriage to marriage because they're not happy in this one. They go from church to church to church because no church makes them happy. They spend their whole life hopping around from this to that, this to that, because they want to be happy. And all they do is leave a trail of debris behind their life because their pursuit is happiness. If you want to be happy on the inside, you've got to walk in the light, not in the darkness. 
You, it's not about your selfishness and what you want. It's got to be about what God wants of you. And when you start seeing God work through you to make other people happy, guess what? It magically makes you happy. Seeking happiness always ends in pain. Seeking to make others happy ends in you being happy. You see, we don't understand the cycle that God puts in place for this happiness thing. So he says, walk in the light and find out what pleases the Lord. You're never going to find out what pleases the Lord walking in the darkness, seeking your own happiness. It's never going to happen. Because seeking happiness is all about my selfishness. I need to be all about God's purposes and investing in other people's lives. And then I can find out what pleases the Lord. And find out, that's a verb. I'm supposed to go do it. I'm supposed to find out. I'm supposed to go on a pursuit. How can I find out what pleases the Lord? I've got to get into his word. I've got to see what the word says. This is God's purpose. Now I want to be a part of that purpose. Did you know that Lucifer, the name Lucifer, you know that's a name for Satan. Did you know that Lucifer actually means light bearer? God created Lucifer to be a light bearer, one who carries the light. Now Lucifer fell from his position, but he still knows how to bear the light. But it's a counterfeit light. So everything Satan does is a counterfeit. It's not real. It's a counterfeit. It's, it sounds good. It feels good. But it doesn't do good and doesn't end good. Because he's a counterfeit. Pretty interesting. He's a master of deception. Even the saints will be deceived by Satan if we're not careful because he is a light bearer. He knows how to look like the good guy. So we need to become light. What does light look like? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Did you get that? He just defined it in what we read. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Evaluate what you do when you're trying to find some happiness and nobody's watching. Is it goodness? Is it righteousness? And is it truth? We need to self-evaluate here because God's asking us to walk in a higher way. He's asking us Christians to walk down a different path. Live as children of light. That's the second thing. Now the third facet is found in verses 15 and 16. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We need to make the most of every opportunity. That's the third facet. Make the most of every opportunity. He doesn't say the good luck that comes your way. He says every opportunity. Make the most of it. Maximize your minutes. Make your life count. Make the most. Make. Make. What does make mean? It's like a creation. Like you, you make dinner. 
that's somebody had to do some preparation there. Or you make, you, 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 you make a, a garden. That's some work that has to be done. If you're going to make something, you have to have a plan. You have to work it out and follow through. We're supposed to make the most of every opportunity. The church isn't very good at that. But we Christians, if we want to be a light in a dark place, we have to make the most of the opportunities that are set before us. COVID-19 is an opportunity. The typical Christian wants to run and hide and say, oh, no. Or they want to say, oh, there's no problem. There's no problem. It used to be a big hoax. Truth of the matter is, it's an opportunity for the church if we'll open our eyes and see it as a setup from God. People are interested in answers they don't have, and we have the answers. And we need to be light bearers ourselves. We need to be taking the truth to people that are lost in a dark world. Right now in America, we're dealing with racial tension. What an opportunity. And the church is to make the most of every opportunity. Here people are asking questions that they haven't asked in a long time. But now they're asking the questions. And they're reviewing it. And this is an opportunity for the church to rise up. This is an opportunity for you and I to speak truth. To do truth. To make a difference. To help justice prevail in this country. This country has has for decades, for a couple centuries, been prejudiced. Ourselves, are, we're better than anybody else. And God is trying to bring... I think the United States of America is a melting pot, and God is trying to influence the rest of the world through us. How are we doing at influencing the rest of the world did God just create one particular race of people to be the light bearers? Or did he create everybody on planet earth to be light bearers? Then the church ought to recognize that. The church ought to embrace that. The church ought to be what the church needs to be. How would Jesus deal with this race thing? I think the Bible tells us very clearly how he would deal with it. He had no problem dealing with it. We need to learn from Jesus. Make the most... Of every opportunity, maybe you're laid off. Maybe you haven't been called back yet. Maybe you're not sure how you're going to pay your bills. Make the most of every opportunity. Here's an opportunity for you. You're not a victim. Be an opportunist. Here's an opportunity. Rise up. Do something with your time. Do something with your life. If you don't have money to spend, you do have things you can do with your talent. Make the most of every opportunity, he tells us. This is one of the facets of being a child of God. Here's number four. It's in verses 18, 19, and 20. Do not get drunk with wine. Hello? You know what that means. Which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's point number four. 
Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Your car needs to be filled with gas. You don't wait till it runs out to refill it. You keep it filled. You keep plenty of fuel in there. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. You ever had to sit alongside road because you didn't fill it up? I have. That's embarrassing to have to call somebody to bring some gas, rescue you. If I'd have kept that tank filled, I wouldn't have had that problem. But spiritually speaking, I also have allowed my spiritual fuel to run out. I can't do that. We're supposed to keep it filled. Be filled. That's a verb, the be filled. It's ongoing. It doesn't mean stop at the gas station and fill it up. It means stay filled. Be filled, stay filled of the Spirit. We all have this responsibility. You don't wait till you run out before you refuel. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were driving down I-69, and uh, we, I was in the passing lane passing a semi, and the semi trailer was kind of bouncing up and down, waving a little bit back and forth as it went down the road. And my wife looked at it, and she says, what's wrong with that truck? And I said to her, that, that trailer was designed to carry a full load. It's running empty. So it's bouncing. It's designed to have a heavy weight, weight it down. But it doesn't have any weight, so it's just bouncing. I think that's the problem with a whole lot of us Christians. We're bouncing from this to that because we don't, we're not carrying a full load. We don't know what God's called us to do, so we're just kind of bouncing around from this to that. We need to discover what God's called us to do and let him fill us up. If we, if we know we should be filled, we, we should be spending time refilling ourselves. How do you do that? Every day you sit down with God's word and you say, Lord, teach me something today I didn't know before. Show me something from this chapter I'm about to read that, 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 that's going to apply to my life today, that's going to tell me how to deal with the problems with my fellow workers, that's going to tell me how to deal with my rebellious children, it's going gonna, it's gonna to teach me how to deal with my marriage, with, with my church. Ask God that question before you read and read something every day. And that's how you keep filled. You keep that refilling yourself every day on a routine basis. We call it devotionals, but really it's, it's stopping at the gas station and getting refilled with the Spirit of God, allowing God's Spirit to touch us. So we need to refill ourselves. And when we refill ourselves, there's going to be some, some spiritual energy inside of us, and it puts a song in our heart. I'm sorry if you're one of those sad Christians who are carrying such a load for the Lord. You need to get, a, you need to get some lightness in your step. You need to put a song in your heart. This morning, uh, my wife was in the bathroom getting ready in front of the mirror, and she had her phone out there, and she had a a song on there that she, she just watched. This is how I fight my battles. And she called me in. She wanted me to listen to that. That was ministering to her. She wanted it to minister to me. And I thought to myself, I got things to do. I'm kind of in a hurry here. But I thought, this is important to her. I'm going to listen to that song. And as I, as I listened to it, it re-energized me. This is how I fight my battles. Not hustling around so I, I meet my deadline. 
This is how I fight my battles, by drawing close to the Lord, by spending time with Him. She was getting recharged, and by the time I got done listening to it, I was getting recharged. When's the last time a song moved you? We're supposed to have song in our heart. Singing songs and hymns to one another, passing it on. If you have it in your heart, you can't hold it in. It just kind of flows out of you. Put a song in your heart. The salt of the earth doesn't just preserve things so they don't change. The salt of the earth makes people thirsty. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. The way we live our lives is supposed to have such an impact and such an influence in other people that they want it too. Makes them thirsty. Let's go to number five, the last thing here. I want us to look down at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. Boy, I hate that word. Don't you? I mean, we don't like that word submit. Submit means to, to, to get back out of the way, to, let some, to defer to someone else, to let someone else have the, the top spot. I don't like that word submit, but he tells me to submit. Who am I supposed to submit to? Submit to God? Submit to Christ? That's not what he said. He said submit to one another. He's talking about life in the church, brothers and sisters. Men and women, boys and girls in the body of Christ, I'm supposed to submit to one another in the church. Interesting. And then he applies it to marriage. He says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. He does not say women should submit to men. He says, if you're going to get married, understand what the marriage covenant represents. If you're going to get married, you are now a wife. And wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, just as you submit yourself to Christ. You see, it's a representative thing. There's no better image of, a, of our covenant relationship between us, the bride of Christ, and he who is the head, Jesus There's no better representation than a marriage down here because marriages are hard. Staying together with somebody that's my opposite is not easy for me or for you. But we are called to this. So if I'm going to submit to Jesus Christ, I need to let my spouse know it. This is how that works. And then down in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do do we see this point? He's he's really coming home with this. This is important. Husbands and wives are in a marriage relationship, a give and take. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, doesn't make any difference what you feel like. Well, I'd respect him, but he doesn't deserve respect. Oh, so a husband is required to love his wife unconditionally, but she has the right to require he earn respect? Doesn't work that way. That's backwards. 
We're doing this because we're submitted to Christ. And if we're submitted to Christ, we recognize, okay, now, I'm in, I'm in covenant relationship with him, and a picture of that is my covenant relationship with my spouse. That means I need to say no to myself. That means I need to come to a place where I'm saying yes to Christ. I need to submit myself to one another. I need to be the church that he's called me to be. You need to be the church he's called you to be. This is exciting, church. This is good news. Love and respect. That's what makes a marriage work. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to love one another and respect one another. And if we can get that love and respect thing down, we will influence the world around us and we will change this world. We'll make it a better place. Marriage is a symbol of the covenant between Christ and his church. If you can't make it work in your marriage, you're going to be nothing but a problem in the church. Make it work in your marriage, and you'll be one of the best leaders, one of the best influencers in the church of Jesus Christ, and you'll help Christ accomplish the purpose that he said. So, this is what the, we're, we're rediscovering what the church is. The church is to be people who are so disciplined and submitted to Christ that we walk like him, we behave like him, we talk like him, we respond like him. Are you like Christ? How are you doing with that? I want to encourage you to do better. Just set our goal toward that. And if we do what he's called us to do, and if we'll be who he's called us to be, it will return and bring happiness to us. It will put a joy in our heart. The joy comes from knowing everything's okay with God, that God's on my side, that God's got my back, that God's following up with me. It'll put joy in our heart. If you want to have joy in your heart, you got to do this God's way. And in response, it'll come back to joy in your heart. You want to be filled with joy? Here's the way to do it. Submit your life to God and walk in love. And you'll find the joy of the Lord just overtakes you. Joy. He wants to fill that in our hearts today. God bless you.